The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of Lexington Community Radio or its board of directors. The views expressed are solely those of the programmers. You are listening to Off the Cuff. Now, here's your host, Adam Banks. Welcome, everybody, to Off the Cuff. I am Adam Banks coming at you live from Lexington, Kentucky. Thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for tuning in to WLXU 93.9 FM. In addition to listening to us on the radio, you can check out our Facebook live stream at Off the Cuff with Adam Banks, or you can download the Radio Lex app on your smartphone device to listen to us anywhere in the entire world. Amber Turner and I are both broadcasting from the Deborah Hensley Studios here at Radio Lex on North Limestone. It is October the 27th, 2022. We are live. Amber, we are just four days away from the spookiest time of the year, which is Halloween. Oh, it's the best time of the year. Are you dressing up? Well, I don't know. Thinking about it. Well, there's always a difference in celebrating when you're an adult and celebrating when you're a kid. Oh, yeah. It's always a lot more fun, I feel like, as an adult, which is rare, to, which is, I guess, unique to say because kids have so much fun, but adults have fun, too. <laughs> well, are you going to dress up? Maybe. I yeah. might wear a mask to scare some yeah. kids. It's that one time where you can scare kids and uh-huh. not feel bad about it. Now, look, if I wear a mask to try to scare kids, I'll end up looking in the mirror scaring myself. Trick-or-treating is in Lexington next Monday, so it will be on Halloween Day, which always makes it more cool. The trick-or-treat time is five or when is it six to eight six to eight <laughs> yeah and two hours hit it quit it you're done yeah and you uh, are you prepared well i like to think that i'm at least 75 percent of the way prepared but you know you've been over to the house you've seen what it's like do you think i ever could be prepared for what the amount of traffic we get on Halloween. We can just do what we do every year when we <laughs> run out of candy. Give them an ice cold pop. And, and and folks, we have. We've given out pops. I've given out <laughs> bags of chips. <laughs> but it is Halloween. It makes me a little sad because this is our last show where we get to talk about all the spookiness. Oh, yeah. And But I always love holidays because it's special, because it's a short amount of time. Amber, we started the show last week. We opened it up talking about the best opening scenes in horror movie history, and it went over well with the audience. The audience seemed to like that. Oh, yes. And, Amber, it just makes sense, since we talked about intros Mm -hmm. in in last week's show, it would make sense to talk about the best ending scenes (laughs) in horror movie history. Now, we all have our favorite horror movies, but there are certain movies that are remembered by their conclusion. It is so important to close down a movie with a good clincher because that's the last thing people remember. As a communication professor, I teach two things with a speech. It's important to start off the speech strong and to end the speech strong. So an intro and a conclusion is very important. So the following movies that we're going to talk about, Amber, is the ones that I feel like have the best ending scenes in horror movie history. We have to start with the 1999 horror film, The Sixth Sense, starring Bruce Willis. And 
That that movie, say what you want to, it was scary. Yes. Didn't you watch that movie by Twice. yourself? In theaters, twice in theaters by myself. Yes, the ending was scary. Spoiler alert, if you can really spoil a movie 23 years later. <laughs> or the, the sixth sense of that. But Bruce Willis finds out at the end that he's been dead the whole time. <laughs> and the little boy who says, I see dead people, uh-huh. uh, can see Bruce Willis because he's dead. Because he's dead. And He wouldn't lie. You know, though, Amber, the the part of that movie that scared me the most was not really just the ending, but it was the part where the little boy, Haley mm. Joe Osment, is sitting in traffic with his mom, Ooh. and they're stuck in traffic because of a bicycle accident yes. that happened right up above them. And she says, the woman died. Yeah. And he, he tells his mom the woman died, and she's like, how do you know that? And he's like, because she's standing beside my window. Ooh. And then it just pops up with her by the window. And there she was. And there she was. But the ending was a psychological ending. It really made you question everything, and... It was really the ending where movies hadn't really done twists like that. Not to that extent. Not to that extent. Now you see a lot of carbon copies of, oh, yeah. of, of The Sixth Sense, but that was really one that started it off. What about Friday the 13th? Ooh. I'm talking about the original, the 1980. The original movie made lake water scary the same way Jaws made ocean water scary. Uh-huh. If you remember the ending to that movie, you had the main character who you thought survived. Yeah, she'd made All the killing, she made it, and then uh, it just turns out that Jason Uh is uh, pulls her from. He comes up out of the water and pulls her and yanks her in. (laughs) And she's in the canoe by herself. And then she wakes up. You think it's a dream, but it's not because they tell her we pulled you from the lake. Yeah, and and she's like, well, what about the boy? And they're like, what boy? Uh huh. And they're and she's like, well, I guess that means he's still out there. And she's like, but what about the boy? A lot of people think that Jason is the killer in Friday the 13th, and that couldn't be any further from the truth. No. It was Jason Voorhees' mother who was the killer of Friday the 13th. Jason Voorhees didn't show up until the sequel. Uh, It's true. Final Destination 5 was an ending that really just kind of shocked me because if you remember the original Final Destination, where it it talked about Flight 180 going down and Uh and all the kids on Flight 180 going to Paris, well, Final Destination Destination 5, you it doesn't reveal till the ending of the movie that Final Destination 5 the whole time was a prequel to all of the Final Destinations. <laughs> so at the end of the movie, those kids that survived everything in the uh-huh. movie, they end up boarding that flight, Flight 180, at the end of the movie, and we all know what happens to Flight 180. Oh my goodness. What about the ending to Carrie when everybody lost their literal stuff yeah. when her hand came out of the grave. Oh, yes. From the dream. Yes. Yes. What about what about Halloween, the original 1978? Oh, my goodness. When Dr. Loomis shot Michael Myers five times. Uh-huh. Five times. And... Michael got up and walked away. Yeah, he just wasn't there. And it kind of personified his character because evil doesn't die. No, evil couldn't die, and Dr. Loomis showed us that. And that's why Laurie Strode at the end, she asked, was that the boogeyman? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Loomis said, yes, it was. Ooh. Because the boogeyman don't die. Uh-uh. What about the ending to Psycho? Okay. And I'm not talking about the iconic horror scene in Psycho. I'm talking about the ending uh-huh. where you have 
what was his name? The main character, the the crazy guy. Oh my goodness, Norman Bates. Yes. You have him in the end of the movie giving a monologue uh-huh. in his mother's voice, yes. looking into the camera, being all creepy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you realize that this whole time he was a freak. <laughs> What about the Blair Witch Project? Oh, my goodness. The shot of Mike facing the corner. That gave me nightmares. At the end. Yes. There is Sinister. Uh Uh-huh. The 2012 movie. It's rare to see the bad guy win. Well. And in Sinister, you watch the the bad guy pick up the child and uh take possession of her after after, uh, she murdered her entire family. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a good Ethan Hawke. Yes. The Mist yes. is known for its ending. Ooh, that was sad, though. It was very sad because uh, the, the guy at the end, David, shot his entire family, including his son, in order to prevent them from getting overrun by a horde of monsters brought mm-hmm. on by the Mist. But if he had only waited two minutes. Oh, not even two minutes. He would have, uh, his whole family would have been saved by the military. Uh-huh. So, Oof. there's the Silence of the Lambs. Yes. When uh, Hannibal Lecter calls Clarice. Yes. And I'm l- having an old friend for lunch. Who was the old friend? Well, it was the dude from the uh, the uh, psych ward. Yes. What about the ending of Saw, the original Saw? Ooh. Where... Quite possibly could be one of the best endings of a horror movie of all time, (laughs) where you find out what these guys have to really do to Mm -hmm. escape the secret room, and that saw off their foot Uh and kill the other person they're in the room with. And the person who does it first is the winner. Oof. The Shining had an intense ending when it pans over to a picture of Jack Nicholson. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There he is. And there there he is, uh, because... It's a picture from, like, the 1800s. Well, I think it was, like, a picture from, you know, like, 60 years prior to that when the hotel had first opened. He wasn't there. Have you ever seen the movie called The Descent? The Descent? Yes, I have. I watched that movie in South America. Yeah. I was in Ecuador when I watched that movie. And I'm telling you, that ending, and Mm -hmm. I put it on this list because, to me, that was one of the most horrific endings I've ever seen because you have this girl, Sarah, wakes up and she she, um, escapes the... The valley that she's in, the cave. Well, that they her were like friends in caves, in. like diving and stuff. Yes, and she escapes, and she goes over, and she finds the vehicle that they all drove, mm-hmm. and she's hugging the vehicle, like clinging to it, thanking God that she's alive, and she's driving off, and she's just happy to be alive. She escaped. She made it. She won, only to be woken up by a jump scare because she really didn't make it out. She was just hallucinating. Yeah. And she's still in the cave. She's still with the monsters, and then the monsters kill her in the end. <laughs> And then what about the final scene in Poultrygeist? Oh, my goodness. Screenwriter Steven Spielberg's real-life childhood fears inspired this film. Mm -hmm. Evil clowns and lurking trees outside his bedroom window is what scared him. Did you know that all of the skulls and skeletons at the end of the Poultrygeist were real human skulls? Oh, I did. Yes. Yes. Oh, I wonder where they got them from. Not only that, but isn't that unsanitary? Well, unethical... I think Lots the I think the ending of the original Scream movie yes. was iconic. The stabbing scenes back and forth between two teenage boys sure. stabbing each other so they it looks like that they're not the murderers. Pure psychotic behavior. Loved it. 
your mom flashed her stuff like she was Sharon Stone and faced it, see it. She <laughs> was no, no Sharon, Sharon Stone. Stone. <laughs> what about Night of the Living Dead? When the character, it was just so simple. Yeah. He makes it out alive and he walks out of his house and the rednecks think he is a zombie, so they shoot him. Uh-huh. And they just stack him on top of the zombies and burn the bodies. Well... And it was shocking. And it was like, wow, did that really happen? Then the movie ended. And then the movie's over. But that, Amber, to me, is the best ending scenes in horror movie history. I think that we covered a lot of the big ones. Is there any that I left off that you want to mention? Oh, my goodness. I'll say Insidious, when you find out that she has been killed, the psychic. And then the original Nightmare on Elm Street, when Nancy's mom gets pulled back through the window. She gets in the car thinking it's a good day. And then, boom. Yes. Love it. But, Amber, we're going to continue our conversation about horror movies. Because in the next segment, Amber, I want to talk about the most iconic horror scene. in cinema history and that's what we'll talk about right after these words stick with us we'll be right back welcome back everybody to off the cuff Adam Banks here with you. Amber is also in studio with me. In the first segment, we were talking about the best movie endings in horror movie history. Talked about a lot of great movies. And Amber, I said before the break that when we come back, I want to continue our conversation about horror movies. I don't want to talk about the intros or the endings, but just pretty much the most iconic horror scenes in cinema history. Now, the following scenes that we'll talk about and some of the audio clips that you'll hear from these scenes are from, seriously, the most iconic scenes in horror movie history. And Amber, we have to start with the shower scene in Psycho. Oh my goodness. This scene had 50 quick cuts in a matter of 60 seconds. This is the scene where Janet Lee, the main character of the film, gets killed within the first 40 minutes of the movie. This movie made people terrified to take a shower. <laughs> you know what had to be painful about dying the way Janet Lee did is she died not only naked, but she died wet. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever hit your body while uh-huh. you've been wet and naked, but it hurts. Oh, nothing worse, honestly. <laughs> nothing worse than that. The shower scene in Psycho is the most historical moment in modern movie history. Yeah. Now, this next scene I'm going to talk about is from The Exorcist. Oh, God. Where Linda Blair... Ooh. Spins her head around. Uh-huh. The first time she does it is in front of her mommy. Do you know what she did? Your canting daughter? 
Now, the audio don't give it justice. No. Because the visual of her spinning her head around, and you could hear the crackling of her neck spinning. Uh-huh. It's terrifying. As she did it. Yes. Ooh. Did you know that when people watched The Exorcist on theaters for the first time, there were people banging on the door to get out. Oh, I can see why. Because it was so, it was so, it was so frightening. Ooh. Now, another iconic horror movie scene comes from The Shining. And you know what scene I'm talking about? It's when Jack Nicholson breaks down the door with his axe and says, here's Johnny. He's trying to break in the door with an axe to get to his wife mm-hmm. to kill her. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff. And I'll puff. And I'll blow your house in. Now imagine Wiley doing this to you. Oh. He couldn't swing that hammer. My goodness. That's freaky. And well, and the fact that you have no idea what he's going to do because he just seemed like a normal husband and father and then all of a sudden he just snaps and wants to kill his family. Ugh. And you gotta think, because we've heard horror stories of, of parents killing their wives and mm-hmm. kids, and that's kind of what this movie was depicting. Oh yeah. A man going crazy and wanting to kill his and want to kill his kids. Another Iconic, iconic uh, horror movie scene is the prom queen moment in Carrie. Okay. When Carrie White, who is played by CeCe Spacek, gets humiliated by bullies after being fooled into thinking they actually wanted her for the school's prom queen. Mm -hmm. And as she's up there accepting her crown, they, the mean girls, pour pig's blood Mm -hmm. on her. And she's humiliated. Well, that just sets Carrie off. Uh-huh. Carrie, Literally. As, Carrie, as we know, is evil. And she kills everybody at her prom. Well. And it is one of the most iconic horror scenes in history. Absolutely. Now, did you know that Carrie was Stephen King's first adaptation? It was his first? It was the very first adaptation from Stephen King. And Gosh, what a way. What a way to break it off. To kick off some of his greatest stories is is the Carrie movie. And the prom scene in it is definitely, definitely the most standout scene of the movie. Wow. What about the closet scene from Halloween 1978 Ooh. when Laurie Strode is hiding in the closet? Uh-huh. 
unsuccessfully because oh, Michael yeah. finds her and starts busting through the closet oh, to get to her. Oh, my god! And the only thing that saves her is she finds a clothes hanger and uh-huh. stabs him in the eye with uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. And it still don't stop him. Oh, it don't phase him. Not it a bit. phases him enough to knock him down for a couple seconds. Uh-huh. Did you know Jamie Lee Curtis, when she made that film, she only was paid $8,000. Oh, my. It's always good, though, to take those low salaries with a with a movie, especially a movie that has potential to be a franchise, mm-hmm. because you can always negotiate a big contract for the second one. I'm sure she got paid very well on Halloween, too. Oh, I'm sure she got her money's worth. What about the scene from Hereditary? Which one? When the little sister uh, gets her head knocked off. Look. When she has her head hanging out the window trying to get fresh air because she's uh-huh. having an asthma attack. Now, look, you were with me in the movie theater when we watched that for the first time. I almost got up how many times to walk out because I couldn't breathe. <laughs> right. It scared me that bad. Yes. Well, you don't see it coming. No. Because this little girl is one of the main characters exactly. in the movie. You think the movie is going to be based around her. Uh-huh. That's how it was built. That's how it was built, and she sticks her head out to get fresh air because she's having an asthma attack, and then because you ain't supposed to hang your head out the window. No, but what was it? The brother was swerving to miss something, and it was like one of those things. He swerved to miss something, and it ended up beheading his own sister. Oh, my gosh. And, And then he had to go home and... He didn't even tell his mom. No, just parked the car. He parked the car, and his mom went outside, and there, there was, was his her headless, headless sister. Ooh. All Ooh. right, and finally, one of the most iconic scenes in horror movie history is when Annie breaks Paul's legs oh. in the movie Misery. Now, before I play the clip, <laughs> let me just say, Misery, one of my favorite horror movies. Yes, amazing. And the movie, if you haven't seen it, folks, you have to watch it, is about this author named, what's his name in the movie? Paul Sheldon. Paul Sheldon. And he's got a fan of the books that he writes named Annie. And Paul ends up wrecking his car and his fan Annie saves him mm-hmm. from the wreckage, and Paul broke his legs. You know, he's he's hurt. He's beat up pretty so bad. So she is his nurse, and she nurses him back to a healthy, <laughs> a healthy person. But when she realizes that he's getting better and his legs are starting to heal, she ends up breaking his legs so he can stay with her forever, she says. Ugh. And the way she breaks his legs... Uh. Putting a board, a block, a block in between his legs and his ankles, his ankles, and then taking a sledgehammer and knocking his ankles or his feet, dislocating his feet from his ankles <laughs> with each swipe. Let's take a listen. Amy, whatever you think I'm not doing, it, please don't do it. Any for God's That's what you call wow. an obsessed fan. Now, Amber, out of all of the horror scenes that I play, uh-huh. of the most iconic horror scenes in horror movie history, yeah. is there one that you would have added in? Uh, probably the only other one I would add in, and it's just because it just 
ooh, scared me as a kid. Uh, throw to Stephen King again, Pet Cemetery, her sister. The entire scene with Zelda, the sister that had spinal meningitis and was deformed. That, ooh, still can't watch that to this day. Yeah, scary. Scary. Watched her suffocate or what? She choked on her food. Stephen King really made Halloween better. Yes. He made horror movies better. He made horror better. And I'm sure he's a wonderful person. I'm sure he is nothing like Has corgis. His, his movies. He's just, I don't think he's weird at all. I think he is just a brilliant writer. Yes, has a great imagination. Has a great imagination. I bet his life is more normal than mine and yours. Oh, I'm sure it probably is. Like you said, he has corgis. He has two corgis. A, a corgi owner can't we know evil. a thing or two about each other. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take another break. Stick with us. We'll be right back after these words. I put a spell on you. Because of mine. Welcome back, everybody, to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you. Amber is also in studio with me. We've been talking about horror movies and Halloween because this is our Halloween special, pretty much. It is the show before Halloween, which is just four days away, October 31st. And most of the time on an episode like this, it would be a very heavy Halloween topic show, which it is, but... I've decided to add a couple of things on today's show that's not Halloween-related because it's just too good to leave off this week. Amber, Kamala Harris, who is our Vice President of the United States, I don't know if you've heard, but she has flip-flopped her opinion on weed. Oh. While speaking in Austin, Texas a few weeks ago, Kamala Harris touched on President Biden's pardons of individuals with federal charges of simple possession of marijuana. Vice President Kamala Harris said a few weeks ago that nobody should have to go to jail for smoking weed. Oh. That's what she said. Despite the fact that she oversaw nearly 2,000 convictions for pot-related offenses Uh as she was the district attorney in San Francisco. Her prosecutors that worked under her have convicted people on marijuana charges at a higher rate than any of her predecessors. Wow. While running for state attorney general in 2010, Harris opposed a statewide ballot measure to greenlight marijuana use calling the initiative Flawed Public Policy, hypocrisy at its best. Take a listen at Kamala Harris talking about nobody should be going to jail for weed despite everything that she has done as she was an attorney. And speaking of the system of justice, we are also changing, y'all might have heard that this week, the federal government's approach to marijuana. there is nobody should have to go to jail for smoking weed. Unless you were already put there by me. Or unless you're being tried by me. So, wow. To me, did you forget what you did? 
or are you just you're just saying the things that you believe now? I mean, because that's a pretty big thing. Yes, for to, that's to, a drastic change uh, in in your not only political views but obviously personal views. So since you were going that hard on it. So she locked all of these people up for small pot possession charges. Uh-huh. Do you realize that she kept people in prison for years for having a little bit of pot mm-hmm. on them, and then she goes and says nobody should be put in jail for smoking weed. Now, she did a radio interview with The Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. and the host of The Breakfast Club, Charlemagne, asked her if she had ever smoked weed before, and this was her answer. Have you ever smoked? I have. Okay. Like and I, and I inhaled. Did I, did inhale? In, I did, did inhale. inhale. Okay. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Harris exp- I did in, I did inhale. inhale. Okay. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I didn't I did inhale. Listen to that cackle. I did inhale. <laughs> I didn't I I did inhale. <laughs> so you laugh. You laugh at the fact that you've smoked weed knowing knowing that you have locked people away for doing the same thing that you did. And what's also crazy is how she disrespected her heritage because later on the interview, she said, half half of my family is from Jamaica. Are you kidding me? Mm. Of course I smoked weed. Oh, goodness. Now, her father went on to say that her family must be turning in their grave right now to see their family's name, reputation, and proud Jamaican identity associated with the fraudulent stereotype of a pot-smoking joy seeker. Wow. From her own father. Yeah. So, you Kamala 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 it's Kamala you Kamala Kamala want to talk about people smoking weed and throw them away but you can talk about smoking weed and then laugh about it mm-hmm. isn't that a hypocrite it's a family thing now yeah it, it's, a, it's a family play now she cackled that she smoked despite the fact that she has locked up so many people for it mm-hmm. well it's easy to laugh when you're on the other side very much so. But I had to play that, ladies and gentlemen. It was just one of those things that was too good not to share. And quite frankly, it made me mad. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take Off the Cuff's song of the week. Let's keep it a little Halloween themed. So let's play a little Donovan season of The Witch. We'll be back after the song. Join us for our Dia de los Morotos, Day of the Dead Festival. This event will honor the traditional Mexican holiday of remembering loved ones who have passed and will feature food, trucks, and inspired performances featuring Casa de la Cultural, Malatachines, and more. In addition, all are invited to bring memories or offerings for a community offering and that is the day of the dead festival looking forward to that amber we were talking about stephen king and his contributions just to horror movies amber but stephen king people think a lot of the times he's a director no he's not no he actually is not even a producer he's not even in the film industry no he's a writer 
his books just get movies made about them. Well, I guess you can't say he's not in the movie industry. He always makes cameos. That's very true. In all of his movies. That's, that's very true. That's very true. And I'm sure he might have some producer rights yeah. due to the fact that he did well, write the story. He already did the footwork for you. I mean, the man puts out bangers every time. So, But Amber, there are notable directors yes. in the horror movie industry that I feel like should be mentioned. Yes. And to me, one of the greatest film horror directors of all time is Wes Craven. Yes, 100. So we'll start with him. He's, he is the guy behind Scream. Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. The Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, and so many more. John Carpenter has to be on this list, too. He is the genius behind Michael Myers. Now, he only directed that one film, but it was because of the original 1978 that introduced the world to Michael Myers, and people followed that film to make sequels. Oh, yeah. So, the imitation of the first Michael Myers was directed by John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Now, and this is in no particular order. I'm just throwing out great directors. A more recent horror director that I feel like will continue to grow and make a name for himself is Jordan Peele. Yes. He has achieved black excellence in every project with his movies like Get Out and, and uh, oh my gosh, Nope. Yeah. Yes. And now it's like when you see his, us. Was us. One, yes. There we go. Now when you see his name attached to a movie, you're thinking, I need to go watch that. It's going to be good. Because the thing about horror movie directors is sometimes you don't even have to see the plot. You don't have to see a trailer. If you see a director's name attached to a movie, you automatically want to go see it because you know it will be good. It will deliver. Alfred Hitchcock. Now, he only had two horror films, Psycho and The Birds. Mm -hmm. But what he did in horror with his TV show, yes. Alfred Hitchcock Presents, has to make him one of the greatest horror directors of all time. Yes. James Wan has Ooh. brought the world so many iconic horror franchises. Listen to this. He brought yes. the Saw franchise. Uh -huh. He brought the Conjuring yes. franchise. What else did he bring to life? Oh, he's brought... Uh, and when you say The Conjuring, I mean... Insidious. It, yes. It's a universe with yes. The Conjuring. Yes. 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 And Insidious, which you know is one of my favorites. Yes. So his contributions is just out there. Did you see the new Saw movie has the original killer in it? Jigsaw? Yeah, Tobin Bell. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's going to come back. Yes, of course. M. Night Shyamalan there we go. is a great director. Director of The Sixth Sense, Signs, The Visit, Old... And his most recent movie that I want to see, Knock Knock, mm -hmm. at the cabin. <laughs> yes. Any horror movie directors that I left off, or did Honestly, I just touch all I of them? I think you touched all of them. Yes. That's, that's a good list. And folks, Halloween is only four days away, so you got four days to get your horror movie watching in, because I think I'm about, I'm about horror movied out. I think I'm going to be good for all of November and December on my horror movies. I'll have to get my Home Alone or rolling yeah. here in a couple weeks. But, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we still have one more segment to go. Stick with us. We will be right back. Working in a coal mine, going down, down, down. Working in a coal mine, about to step down. Working in a coal mine, going down, down, down. Working in a coal mine, about to slip down. Five o'clock in the morning. Welcome back, everybody, to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you. Amber is also in studio with me. Last segment of the hour. 
The Kentucky basketball season had their annual blue and white scrimmage game, and it was held at Pikeville this past weekend. And it was the first time that the game had been taken on the road, and they took it on the road because it was a fundraiser for the flood victims of Eastern Kentucky. So they had the game in Pikeville at the... It used to be called the Expo Center, but I don't think that's what they call it anymore. I don't think so either. I think it's I think it is the Appalachia Wireless Arena. There we go. I think that is it. <laughs> it needs to be a game the cats take on the road, I think, every year. I've talked about how Rupp Arena sucks because <laughs> it cost a million dollars to get in there. So why not take this blue and white scrimmage game on the road every year? Mm-hmm. This year it was in Eastern Kentucky. Next year put it in Western Kentucky. The very next year put it in Northern Kentucky. Just have it everywhere besides Lexington. Yeah. Lexington gets enough of oh, yeah, Kentucky basketball. But Amber, the big story that came from the blue and white game was a viral photo that was tweeted out by John Calipari himself. I'm sure you've seen it. It was the yes. photo of the coal miner that took his son to the blue and white scrimmage, still dressed in his coal mining attire and still dust on his face from the coal mines. Somebody took the picture, snapped it, put it online. John Calipari seen it, retweeted it, and because of it, the photo went viral. Calipari said, My family's American dream started in Clarksburg, West Virginia, coal mine. So this picture hits home. From what I've been told, after his shift, he raced to be with his son and to watch our team. Don't know who this is, but I have tickets for him and his family at Rupp Arena to be treated as VIPs. I think that's great. Wow. Calipari and the Wildcats, they went to Pikeville and they handed over a $160,000 check to, oh my word. to Andy Bashir because of the money that they raised for the flood victims. Calipari said, when I saw the picture, it hit me right between the eyes. You're bringing light to a good man, a hard worker in Kentucky, a coal miner who does everything he can to make time for his family. Did you know that UK Athletics announced that they raised over $2.4 million for flood relief? That is simply incredibly done by the basketball team. So that just goes to to show that Calipari is the best coach that we have here <laughs> in this state. No, he is. Yeah. I'm not being funny. He really is. The things that he does, the things that he raises for our state is is it's unheard of. He raised over three million dollars, him and his team did. Three million dollars, over three million dollars for tornado relief victims in Bowling Green, or um, yeah, back in Western Kentucky, yeah, when that happened. So there is more to being just a guy who does X's and O's and coaches down there on the basketball floor as the head man at Kentucky basketball. You are somebody who is an ambassador for the state. You're somebody who raises money for disasters like Calipari has done. Do you see anybody doing what Calipari and his basketball teams has done? No. Do you Have you ever in the history of the UK basketball program seen the money raised and the support like Calipari's teams? So yes, Calipari might have lost in the first round uh, last year to St. Peter's, 
But there's more to being just a good basketball coach when you're the head men's basketball coach at Kentucky. You are the most important person in the state. You have the most powerful position in the state. The head basketball coach at Kentucky has more power, dare I say, than the governor of Kentucky, than the senator of Kentucky because of the influence that the coach has with all of the residents across the state. Calipari has got it from day one. He has embraced Joe B. Hall. He embraced the culture. He embraced the fans. He embraced the tradition. He raises money. He embodied what it was like to be the University of Kentucky basketball coach. There's nobody has, who has ever done it better than him, and there will be nobody to ever do it better than him. Who, The fact that he is our coach, we are blessed to have him here, and I am thankful to have him here. You want to take a wild stab in the dark of how much money Coach Stoops raised for <laughs> and now the I'm flood victims? How much? Zero. No. And they want to build a statue for that man because he beats Florida in the regular season. Oh, no. I seen a poll a couple of weeks ago from fans, and it was right after Mark Stoops beat Florida. There was a poll up, and of course it was done by one of those KSR polls. Mm -hmm. And the poll was, who's more important to Kentucky, Mark Stoops or John Calipari? And Mark Stoops was like 80%. John Calipari was 20. Oh, word. And it just made me laugh. And I said, are are people really that naive? Are people really that out of it to think that Stoops is more important to the state? than John Calipari is. Do you see Stoops sending people from the coal mines that go to his games VIP front row? No, you've never seen him do anything like that before. Yeah. You haven't. And it just goes to show why there's just more just to, when you're a coach here at this state, football or basketball, there's more to just getting down and coaching. You got to be an ambassador. And Coach Cal gets that. Stoops, on the other hand, has it. Stoops, speaking of Stoops, he plays Tennessee this Saturday, and he's looking to improve his record to three and eight, three and seven against Tennessee. Uh, he plays them on ESPN, seven o'clock, and it's going to be a tough one. Tennessee destroyed Alabama, and I, I would love to see Kentucky go down uh, to Tennessee and win. That would be awesome. I think it would put a lot of momentum into the program. Now, should we build a statue for Stoops if he beats Tennessee? <laughs> Calm down, folks. It's just another regular season win, and he's even if he wins, he's still just three and seven against Tennessee. <laughs> but do I want him to win? Of course, of course. But I thought that was, I thought that was awesome. The picture, I, I loved it. I remember Amber people wearing their coal mining uniform and boots to public places all of the time. Oh, yes. Churches. It was a common occurrence to see that when we were growing up. School events. Yes. So the fact that I seen this photo, it, it really just, it didn't shock me. No. It didn't really even catch my eye because to me it was normalcy. Reminded me I'm home. Yeah, it was normalcy. So the fact that somebody out there put it on the internet and and it gravita- and it just connected with Cal really it's just a, such a feel good story. Yeah, this goes to show, you know, we grew up a little different than most people, but uh you stick together. Well, and 
people who work in the coal mines, that's hard work. Mm-hmm. My dad went underground for nine years. Oh. And you, it's cold, it's dark, you don't see sunshine. And all the while, you're just hoping and praying the mountain don't fall on you. Oh, my goodness. Because the whole time you're down underground, you hear pop, pop, pop. That's uh-huh. the mountain popping. Oh, boy, yeah, you're you're digging in it. That's the mountain popping. And the more you dig, the more likely it is for the mountain to fall on you. Oh, yeah. So it's not an easy job. But that's how a lot of people back in eastern Kentucky, that's how they provide for their family. So mm-hmm. they, they have no other choice but to go underground and, and work in the coal mines. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure that Michael McGuire, the guy in the photo, We'll get a great game to watch because the Cats are in the top 25 AP poll this year. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that Cal gives him a, a great game to watch. Yeah. Not just the game against Howard or somebody like that. <laughs> I hope he gives him a good SEC game to go watch. <laughs> Give him the real full-fledged experience. And maybe you – but you do know, Michael, that when you sit in Upper Arena, you got to wear one of those blue sweater vests. <laughs> I mean, that's a requirement. You got to. And don't be too loud. And don't be too loud or they'll throw you out like they did me. But ladies and gentlemen, that about wraps up another episode of Off the Cuff. This has been our Halloween special, kind of. But it is October 27th, four days from Halloween. If you like today's episode, you will probably like all of our previous episodes, so subscribe to us on podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. We release new episodes every Thursday from 4 to 5 right here on WLXU 93.9, which means we'll be back next week with a new episode. You can follow the show on social media at Off the Cuff with Adam Banks. You can follow the co-host on social media at Ambu447. You can follow me, the host, on social media at The Adam Banks. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Ember Turner. I'm Adam Banks, and this is Off the Cuff. We'll see you next week. Oh,